Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. Thanks for tuning in everyone to this, the penultimate episode of the English Game of Thrones. There's a small change for this episode in that we're featuring a massacre in the aftermath of a battle that never was, now known as the Harrying of the North. It occurred in the winter of 1069-70 to as a result of continuous rebellions from northern England. And while not a battle in itself, it was a key moment in the Norman conquest of England. In most of the history textbooks you probably read at school, William won at Hastings and the rest of England suddenly became Norman. That couldn't be further from the truth. Many of the English lords did quickly submit to William, and much of the cream of the Anglo-Saxon army had been killed at Stamford Bridge and Hastings. But in response to various Norman brutalities and the disowning of most of the English landowning class, the will to resist the new king grew among men and women with little to lose. The three years following Hastings had been punctuated by repeated Anglo-Saxon uprisings and foreign invasions. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle tells us that in 1069, the late King Harold's own sons, Godwin and Edmund, came from Ireland at midsummer with 64 ships into the mouth of the River Tor in southwest England. 64 ships would mean somewhere in the region of 2,500 men, a good-sized force for the day, but not sufficient on its own to retake England. But whatever hopes the brothers had of gathering local support were quickly dashed when they were roundly defeated pretty much immediately by one of William's henchmen, Count Brian. They were forced to flee back to Ireland, at which point they disappear from the historical record, never to be heard from again. There were other problems for William too, including Adric the Wild, an English thane or minor nobleman who held lands around the Welsh borders. He may even have been a nephew of Adric Striona, the traitor who had abandoned Edmund Ironside in the middle of the Battle of Assenden 50 years earlier. The Wild, though, was made of sterner Anglo-Saxon stuff. He had allied with Welsh princes and raised two serious rebellions against William in 1067 and 69. Both, though, were crushed. These were just three of several serious rebellions and incursions that the Normans had to put down, and it must have seemed like a life-or-death whack-a-mole game. As soon as you put one down, another one bursts back up. In northern England, by 1069, William's authority still did not extend beyond York, into the wider reaches of Yorkshire and Northumbria. The region had been settled by Danes and other Vikings for hundreds of years, and there was a certain sense of difference, of separation from the rest of the country. You can still see the differences in modern place names like Grimsby, which means the town of Grima, or hear the differences in the variety of accents of northern England to this day. Even the Anglo-Saxons had only relatively recently ruled over this part of England, so if the northerners felt kinship and loyalty to anyone, it was to Danish or English lords, not Norman. And so, when William sent one of his men, Robert Cumin, with 500 knights and other troops to conquer the region in January 1069, the Northumbrians ambushed and slaughtered them to a man. Then, in the summer, 
William found himself in trouble on multiple fronts. Adric the Wild in the Midlands, Harold's sons in the south, uprisings in Dorset, Devon and Kent. At the same time, a major rebellion in Northumbria erupted, led by Edgar Aetheling or Prince Edgar, the 17-year-old last surviving member of the Anglo-Saxon royal house of Wessex. As if this wasn't enough, you can imagine William's disbelief when a massive fleet of at least 240 ships arrived in the River Humber, disgorging eight to 9,000 Vikings, who promptly allied themselves with Edgar and the Northumbrians. Together, this Anglo-Norse alliance marched on York and destroyed the Norman forces defending it. With York fallen and such severe threats in multiple parts of England, William must have feared a total reversal of Hastings. In fact, had each of the rebellions been coordinated, I may have now been speaking about the final defeat and expulsion of the Normans from a resurgent Anglo-Saxon power base. But it wasn't to be. As we've heard, Adric the Wild and Harold's sons were seen off, and each of the other rebellions put down by William's supporters. William himself then took a large army north to confront the Northumbrian Viking alliance in a winner-takes-all showdown. The expectations must have been high, the tension sizzling. But the Danes' mood for a confrontation evaporated when William paid them to leave, and seeing his Viking allies sail into the horizon, Edgar Aetheling lost his nerve and led his army in retreat to Scotland. By now, William had become exasperated at the constant Anglo-Saxon threats to his new kingdom, and was utterly frustrated by his inability to finally confront the Northumbrian army once and for all. So, instead, he showed his almost unbelievable ruthlessness and cruelty in ordering the harrying of the North. He split his army into several smaller units, with orders to kill any armed man found, to destroy all the carefully stored food from that year's harvest, to demolish entire villages and slaughter livestock. Every animal, foodstuff and dwelling was to be annihilated in all of Yorkshire, Northumbria and the other northern shires. And so it was carried out during the bitter winter of 1069-70. John of Worcester, a 12th century writer, said that food was so scarce in the aftermath that people were forced to eat dogs, cats, horses and even human flesh in a desperate bid to stay alive. Refugees from the devastation are recorded as far south as Evesham Abbey in Worcestershire, where the abbot gave them food. So starving were they, though, that the abbey's records say that many folk tragically died from eating too ravenously, in similar effects to what Allied soldiers saw during World War II. When they gave food to skeletal concentration camp survivors, many died within a short time of eating. It's known today as refeeding syndrome. There are many estimates of the death toll, ranging from tens of thousands to 150,000. A contemporary historian, Orderic Vitalis, said that 100,000 died from murder, starvation and exposure. If correct, that would make it about 5% of the entire population of England, and matched the number of dead 
from the atomic bombing of Hiroshima in 1945. Even more tellingly, this figure amounted to more than 75% of the population of northern England, and the Doomsday Book of 1086 records that even 16 years later, one-third of the land in the region was still recorded as vasta, or waste. Never again did a major Anglo-Saxon threat to Norman rule emerge from northern England, which of course was the aim. William then marched into Scotland too and forced its King Malcolm to submit to him and expel Edgar Aethling from his kingdom. Edgar, with no other options left, finally submitted to William. With Harold's sons defeated, Danes paid off, the North ravaged, rebels crushed and the last of Anglo-Saxon royalty in submission. William had emerged from the jaws of potentially fatal defeat to a position of unrivalled power. The Norman conquest wasn't quite complete, but Anglo-Saxon England was, finally, in its death throes. In 1070 and 71, a last flicker of life in the form of an Anglo-Saxon firebrand by the name of Hereward gave William his last serious English headache. See you next time for the final episode of the English Game of Thrones. Ely, The Last Stand. <laughs>